Good morning, gentlemen. Okay, I'd like to share with you a theory that I call the big, small theory of everything. And uh, to paraphrase a very old quote, life is not about doing big things, but rather it's about doing small things in a big way. That's the Yisod. Most Jewish people do not become basketball players professionally. When I was your age, probably a little bit younger, I still had dreams and aspirations of one day being able to slam dunk. And as I got a little bit older, and I wasn't quite there, and it started to dawn upon me that it's probably never going to happen. And when that realization hit me for the first time, I remember I was terribly disappointed. Till this day, I still have dreams of being able to dunk. Now, however, Jews are different uh, positions in the world of sports. There are managers, there are NBA recruiters. A recruiter could make easily half a million dollars a year. What is the job of a recruiter? Basically, you have to know all the players on different teams, obviously have to know all of the good college players, even some of the good high school players. And you have to have a sense who's a rising star, who has potential to actually make it big one day. See, sometimes you'll have a kid, a point guard in high school, he could be scoring 38 points a game and everyone knows who he is and they love him and he's great. But being a recruiter, you could pick up on the fact this kid has no chance of making it in the NBA. He's too scrawny, he's not fast enough, he can't jump high enough. You have to know what to look for. Lahavdil, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the recruiter for the Jewish people. We're going through hundreds of years of subjugation in Mitzrayim. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is now looking, who is the man for the job? Who should be the manig, who should be the leader to take Klal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim? Now we know he found Moshe Rabbeinu. What was unique about Moshe? What did the Kaddish Baruch Hu pick up on? Was it his, his fadeaway jump shot? Was it his passing ability? What was unique about Moshe that when Hashem saw him, he said, he's the man for the job. He will be the leader of the Jewish people. So Chazal answered the question. Chazal tell us that Moshe was a shepherd, minding his own business, living in the middle of nowhere in Midian, his life was one of isolation and meditation and tefillah and duvekis. But he did his own thing. Nobody knew of Moshe. He was a rohatzon, he was a shepherd who did his job with loyalty, with honesty, with compassion. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees this man doing his job, looking after the sheep. And Chazal tell us that Hashem said, Yesh l'charachamim linhog tzoni shalbosav adam kach. If you have that level of compassion and care to take care of sheep of a human being, then I swear, Sadaqarush Baruchu, that you will take care of my flock. You'll take care of Klal Yisro. And the Yisod, Chazal tell us, is Enakarush Baruchu nosin gedula la'adam. Hashem doesn't bestow greatness onto a person. Ad until he tests you in a small area in something little that you don't even realize is significant. 
But once he sees that we're doing the small things well, then then HaKadosh Baruch Hu could bring us to greatness. So Hashem saw Moshe Rabbeinu was unique because he was doing the small things in a big way. Now, it's interesting, you think about what defines who I am? What makes you who you are? Ultimately, it's the hundreds of thousands or millions of small things that we do every day. That defines who I am. Interesting story. There is a fellow who owned a construction company. We'll call him Ruvain. And he has been the boss there for decades and decades. And he had a very, very loyal worker who was a contractor who was in charge of building many different homes and properties. His name was David. So David goes to his boss one day after working 25, 30 years. He says, Ruve, it's time for me to retire. Thank you so much for allowing me to do this and making a parnasa. But I'm old and I'm tired and I'm done. Ruvain says to David, do me a favor. I know money's tight for you now. I know retiring is going to be difficult. But I have one more job for you. One more job. There's a beautiful area right by the ocean. Can you build a house? I can't. I'm done. I'm tired. I want to retire. I understand, David. Just do me a favor. One last job. So he feels a sense of a karasatov. He's been my boss for many years. He's been understanding. Okay. So he takes on this job and he's building the home. The problem is he's not invested because psychologically he's already checked out. So he doesn't get the best material. He doesn't, he's not on top of the workers to make sure they're doing everything in his best way that he'd like to happen. Things are kind of haphazard. Eventually, after three or four months, he has the house, not in the greatest shape. Likely, things will need to be fixed up. Uh, but okay, he did the job. He goes back to Ruvain and says, okay, I'm Yotze, I did it. Ruvain reaches into his pocket with a smile and says, David, this is for you. I know money is tight. I want you to have this house to live in for your retirement. At that point, David has the realization that everything he was building was really for himself. This is where I'll be staying. This is the last 10, 15, 20 years of my life. If I would have known that beforehand, I would have put in more effort. I would have done a better job. Oftentimes we don't realize that all the little things we're doing, all the choices we're making, all the things we're saying, that defines who I am and who I will be in the future. What kind of Ben Torah do I want to be? What kind of father do I want to be one day? What kind of husband do I want to be? That's based on the small little choices we're making right now. I saw a study. It said going back not that long ago, going back to the early part of the 2000s, when you interviewed children, pre-teens, 11, 12 years old, and then for sure as they get to the early teenage years, what did people want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? So many of the boys said they want to be athletes or they want to be firemen. 
Many of the girls said they want to do girl things. In 2007, everything changed. There were two or three studies in UCLA, back in my hometown, and they discovered that what used to be number 14, 15 on the list of what young men and women wanted to do or wanted to be was now number one. What was it? I want to be famous. I want to have a YouTube channel where everyone's going to watch me and I'm going to have over a million hits and hundreds of thousands of likes. I want people to know who I am. So now forget the wholesome dreams of being a policeman or a firefighter or an NBA basketball player. I don't care what I am doing, I just want people to know about me. I want to be famous. We're living in a society where we don't appreciate the small things because if the small things we're doing are off the radar or behind the scenes and people aren't knowing about it, it doesn't mean that much anymore. There's a very interesting source in Chazal that says, Ruvain, we know, wanted to save Yosef. Chazal tells us that if Ruvain would have known that the Torah would be recording his kavana for thousands of years to come, right there and then he would have ran up to Yosef, put him on his shoulders and brought him straight back to his father. Chazal say that Aaron HaKohen, when he met Moshe Rabbeinu, and he was happy and he didn't feel any sense of jealousy and he's praised for that. If Aaron would have known that that was recorded in the Torah, the Dore Doros, he would have run up to Moshe dancing and singing, playing the drums. It would have been a whole different type of greeting. If Boaz would have known that his actions, his chesed ferus, would have been recorded in Navi, instead of giving her from the leket and the grain of the field, he would have made a whole lavish spread for her. That's a very strange chazal. It sounds like it's saying that Ruvain, Aaron Hakawain, Boaz, they would have done a lot more if they only would have realized this is going viral. People are going to hear about this. I got to do a good job. I got to look good. And that doesn't seem to make any sense. It's one thing being 11, 12 years old, living in 2017. It's all about fame, people knowing about me. But that was not on the radar of Ruvain or Aaron or Boaz. Why did they care? What's Pshad in the Chazal? Pshad is not that they would have done more because they wanted more fame. They would have done more if they would have had more of an awareness how big this small thing is. If I know a Kaddish Baruch who is with me and looking at me right now, what is my reaction to my brother Moshe? Am I really trying to save my brother? Am I taking care of this poor young lady? If I would have realized how big this small thing was, then I would have more potential to do it in a more meaningful way. We have to realize the small things we do in life can be very big. I want to make the application to this theory we call the small big theory, Bein Adam Lamakom and Bein Adam Lachavera. Many things in life, that we do every day, we can sometimes get lost in the, uh, the routine. Where's my chumash over here? I think tefillah is one example of something that's very difficult for all of us. Saying the words in a meaningful way, 
even staying conscious as we're saying the words. There's an amazing episode in this week's Parsha. You picture the scene, right? You're standing there with three million other Jews, and after leaving Mitzrayim seven days earlier, you're now standing right in front of the raging Yamsuf, and behind you have the charging Egyptian army. People are screaming in hysteria. So the Pasuk tells us that as Para was coming closer with his army, the Yisu B'nai Yisrael Esei Nehem, B'nai Yisrael raised their eyes, and they saw the entire Egypt pursuing them. The Yiru Ma'od, and they were very afraid. The Yitzoku B'nai Yisrael El Hashem. And B'nai Yisrael cried out to Hashem. Next Pasuk. The Yomru El Moshe. And then they said to Moshe, Are there not enough graves in Mitzrayim? You're taking us to die here in the Midbar. What have you done to us to take us out of Mitzrayim? This is suicide. So the first Pasuk is, they're very afraid. So they cry out to Hashem. Says Rashi, V'yitzoku, Tofsu umna sevosam. Klal Yisrael was grabbing on to the umnis, to the, the mastery of their forefathers. What does that mean? Just like Avraham, Davind, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they were grabbing on to the umnis of avosam, screaming out to Hashem. That sounds like a pretty high madrega. But yet the next Pasuk says, they turn to Moshe and they say, What are you doing? You're killing us. We should have stayed in Mitzrayim. It sounds like schizophrenia. How do you have the back and forth? We're crying out, Just like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And now we're complaining to Moshe, This is a suicide mission. What is that back and forth? So the Gur Aryeh, the Maral, he says, Most people misunderstand Rashi. When Rashi says they were grabbing on to Umnus of Osam, he doesn't mean to say they were in a high madrega. It doesn't mean to say they were crying out like the tzaddikim who do so at a time of distress. Because the next pasuk is they're complaining. What's Pshad and Rashi? This is what they saw their fathers do. This is what we do in our culture, in our school, in our shul. I'm just doing the same thing that everyone else does. I'm going through the motions, even though I'm not really doing it Now that's an amazing thing to say. It's one thing to say that we're davening here in the yeshiva and we daven every day and it's hard to, to focus. Okay, we can space out. But if you're standing right there between a raging sea and the approaching Mitzrayim who are going to slaughter you, how is it possible not to have kavana? I'm just going through the routine. Hashem, please save me. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Please save me. I don't want to die. Ooh, Spurs won last night. How is it possible not to have kavana when you're screaming out to Hashem to save your life? 
They were just copying. It wasn't real. Pshat is, when so much of our lives becomes totally robotic and habitual, and we become numb to spirituality, and it's so hard to feel an emotional connection with Torah, with tefillah, that even in those times where we should be feeling something, it's hard to get there. Because our, our autopilot is, I do things robotically. Even in a situation where our lives are on the line, it's possible not to be fully spaced in. So now davening every morning, Shachis, Mincha, Mariv, when we don't see our lives on the line, that's very hard to be spaced in. The Chafetz Chaim has a beautiful marshal where he says there is a young girl selling apples. And uh, Ganef comes, he sees that he could totally overpower her and grab the apples. So he grabs the basket, and as he's doing so, apples fall all over the ground, and the Ganef is trying to collect all the apples, and the girl's standing there in the corner crying. So a man says to the young lady, you could also pick up apples. Get as many as you can. There's still many apples left to grab. Says the Chafetz Chaim, psychologically, when we wake up in the middle of Yerushalayim Ircha, and we're not sure that I just say the beginning of Shemona Esri until this point, that I somehow just get here, that I come to Yeshiva this morning, where am I, who am I? It's very hard to now choose, okay, now I'm going to have Kuvah. Now I'm going to think about what I'm saying. What's the point? Most of the Shemona Esri is gone. <coughs> Says the Chafetz Chaim, it's the same you sowed. There's still so many apples there. Grab as many as you can. If I could have kavana now for one bracha, or for one word of the next bracha, that's very chashev. That's a small thing that, be, that can be considered a massive thing. One of my favorite quotes, I love quoting this because it comes from the Zohar. And people assume you know Kabbalah when you quote this. <laughs> The Zohar tells us, it's actually in Aramaic and Hebrew, but I also like reading it in Aramaic because it sounds more authentic. Says the Zohar, If we only understood the love that a Kodesh Baruch Hu has for Kla Yisrael, we would roar like a lion to chase after him. If we just had a glimpse into the infinite, awesome, nuclear power love that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has for every individual of Klai Yisrael, and for every little thing that we do, the nachas that Hashem gets, we would run after Hashem roaring like a lion. There's so many apples there, we can't allow ourselves to feel a sense of yush, I didn't do that right. What's the point of trying here? Every apple is precious. Everything we do is precious. In the famous words of the Rebbeinu Bachaya, he says that a Kaddish Baruch Hu tells Klal Yisrael, Ma'at mimcha rav etzlo. What you think is a little bit? Rav etzlo, it's huge to Hashem. Never underestimate one little mitzvah. The best analogy is if you've ever... If you have a brother and sister, when they were younger, and they start to walk for the first time, they take their first step. And if mom and dad are there, 
the reaction is usually somewhat ridiculous. Put it on WhatsApp for the family thing, and everyone's gonna go. That's cute, you know. Most kids do that at some point. And that, though, is the marshal. It's a little tiny thing that objectively doesn't mean much at all. When a Kurdish Baruch Hu sees you wake up in the middle of Shmakov Aleinu, and you know what? I'm gonna try a little bit right now. A Kurdish Baruch Hu is kfelling. Oh, oh, Pesach! I love it. If we had any glimpse into the love that Kodesh Baruch Hu has for every yachid and every little tiny thing that we do, we'd be roaring like lions. We'd be yawning like Elisha. <laughs> That's Ben Adam Lamakom. Ben Adam Lachavero. Also very powerful to utilize the principle of small big or big small. Tell you a story. When I was in ninth grade in Valley Toro, so that was my first first year in a Jewish school, coming out of public school, and uh, it was going to be my first time saying Hataras Nadarim. So I heard about this before. Thirteen years old, I looked it over briefly, and there were like three or four paragraphs. I was a little bit intimidated. You know, first time saying it. So during Shachas that morning, I was psyching myself up. Not a big deal. I can read Hebrew fine. I'll do a good job. People like me. I like them. We're all friends. This whole emotional game, I'm playing with myself. No big deal. I didn't realize, though, that there's a very strange Arab Rosh Hashanah culture we have in the Jewish world. And it doesn't stop in high school. I have it in my school. People are 30 and 40 years old. Five minutes before davening is over, we have to choose our groups. Get together, we have our four, you have your four. I didn't realize that was the way it was done. So I'm done davening, and I realize everyone's already set up. So I'm looking around for a group, I turn behind me, and I have Rabbi Raskin, Rabbi Strix, and Rabbi Meza. Come, come, join us! I'm like, oh my gosh. No, I wasn't ready for this to say Hattaras the Dharma for the first time in front of the rabbis. I was a little bit intimidated. So I, I did it. You know, it wasn't smooth, it wasn't pretty. Feeling kind of embarrassed. I should know this better. After I was done, Rabbi Meza turns to the other two rabbis sitting there and he says, Noach's going to be a godel one day. Now, Chaval, that never happened, nor will it happen. <laughs> but it changed my whole feeling towards myself. Here I am, I'm about to sit down with my tail between my legs. I'm a failure. I didn't do a good job saying this thing. Hearing that one line where someone was looking at me and they were saying, you know what, this kid has a lot of potential. You could do something one day. That changed my whole feeling. I was optimistic. One little tiny line can make a big difference. This is now more than 20 years ago. Another interesting story. I had a couple that I was working with a couple years ago. And uh, they were not religious. They wanted me to marry them. And uh, we, we said we would do it and we had different 
qualifications and conditions. And then I said, I'd love to meet your parents. So the Kala to be, she said, I have to warn you, Rabbi, my dad is very Jewish, traditionally, but he really hates Orthodox Jews. And he can't stand Orthodox rabbis. So I'm just warning you ahead of time to realize what you're getting yourself into. Okay. So we made up a meeting. We're schmoozing together, her parents, his parents. And we were there for about 20 minutes. Just a normal, nice conversation. Towards the end of that 20 minutes, her father turns to me and says, Rabbi, I have to tell you something. He points right to my face. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man. He says with a smile, your smile is beginning to make me a religious man. I wasn't doing anything special. I wasn't pulling out all the cute Kiruv tricks, just being a mensch, talking about what the chasana would be. And he was encouraged by the smile. Little things go a long way. The end of the story is that after they were married a year and a half later, he was diagnosed with a very severe illness. And for his last couple weeks on this planet, all he wanted was to have a rabbi by his side. Going from Kotzel Kotzel based on nothing, based on just a smile. I went to visit him in Boca Regional, I remember, this is a year ago. He saw me. He had a smile on his face and he said, Good Shabbos, Rabbi. It's a Wednesday, but that, that was his way of connecting. <laughs> when, when Rivka Yimenu was taking Yaakov right to the door of Yitzchak to, uh, to dress up as Esav and receive the bracha, so Chazal tell us that she turns to Yaakov and says, I could only bring you this far but from here on, Hashem is with you. Shiva had the Deher. What is she saying that for? Obviously Hashem is with you. Obviously you can't go any further. What's the point of, of giving Yaakov a little encouragement? The answer is because Yaakov needed encouragement. Saying a little nice thing. Reminding him of something he was well aware of. Hashem is with you. I'm doing as much as I can. Hashem will take you the rest of the way. A little line of encouragement can change somebody's life. I was in Michigan for two and a half months. My son Avraham is going through a major medical procedure. Baruch Hashem, he's doing great. But the way it worked out is that my wife or I had to be in the room 24-7. So it was very intense, very taxing. I remember one day, it was like, you know, they wake you up many times throughout the night, and it was like 4.30, 5 in the morning, and the door is opening in the room, and I'm getting frustrated, and can you just be a little bit quiet, we're trying to sleep. And then I hear this bolting voice, good morning, sunshine! And my first response was I wanted to throw the pillow at her. <laughs> but then every morning that continued to happen. Baruch Hashem, it wasn't that early, it was more like 6, 6.30. Good morning, sunshine! And you know what? It got to the point where I was actually looking forward to that greeting. A little normalcy, 
a little humor, a little gishmak in that kind of environment is something that you could appreciate. So we became very close, Yolanda and I and my wife. So as we were leaving, this is uh, now at the end of our stay in Michigan, my wife and I go to TJ Maxx. And we're checking out, we're looking for something to give to the nurse and other people. And I see a mug that says, Good morning, sunshine. So this is perfect. $3.95. So we give that to her, and you know, she thanks us very much, and we go our separate ways. I go back to Michigan two years later for a checkup, and we see some of the Hevra. Hi, Yolanda, how you doing? Rabbi, great. And then she tells me, she says, every morning I make myself a coffee in my Good Morning Sunshine mug, and as I'm drinking my coffee, I think of your boy. And it gives me strength for the whole day. $3.95 at TJ Maxx. Who would have thought? Who would have thought someone coming into the room yelling, Good Morning Sunshine at 6 in the morning, that's going to change someone's day? But it could change somebody's life. There's so many little things that if we do it in a big way, we could transform ourselves, we could transform tefillah, we could transform limud haTorah. I have no shaykh as to what's going on right now in the sugya. That's okay. If I could get this step, that I'm grabbing apples, and a Kaddish Baruch is saying, look at this, he's grabbing the apple, he's got the havamin and toast, that's wonderful. When it comes to Ben Adam Lechavim, it's all about doing small things in a big way. When it comes to Ben Adam Lechavero, the same thing is true. A little encouragement, if somebody, you're playing a volleyball over the fence, very sophisticated form of entertainment we have here, Baruch Hashem, <laughs> and someone does a good, a good shot, it's about to fall, and he this smacks it, tell the guy, nice hit! People enjoy hearing that, people need the chizik. We should be zocha to live life, forget about the big things, forget about the fame, small things in a big way. A good job.